This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your, I was going to say new month, new me, but I feel like the statute of limitations might be up on that, because I looked up and we're already four days into the month. I do not know where time is going, uh, but the point of this podcast is not to talk to you about the time, it is to talk sports. So today, I am joined by Katie Heindel, um, who's a basketball writer extraordinaire. You can find her all over the place at Dime, at the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Um, and you can read her writing at basketballfeelings.com. Katie, thank you very much for being on the show. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you for having me on. But I was going to say, if you could figure out, like if you had any answers to why time is melting, I was all ears. But <laughs> Oh, well, you know, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people maybe. I don't know. Like, I feel like I look up and then the time is just gone. Like, I, like it was just yesterday, it feels like, when we were starting football season, and now basketball season is here. Totally fine with basketball season being here, but it, I just feel like I look up, a blink of an eye has gone by, and we're into the next thing. It's accelerating. Yeah, I think it's like it accelerated uh, over the past year and a half in the pandemic, and now it just hasn't gotten back to normal, and maybe it never will. <laughs> You're right. It will just be like in this sped up time loop. Um, (laughs) from here on out which I mean it is what it is we'll just we'll just have to adjust Um, now before we get too deep into this um, one of the reasons that we're recording at the time we are right now is for those of you listening you don't care but it's Monday morning uh, at 8 30 central time is because Katie has a Raptors game tonight (laughs) that she is covering and so I have to ask you about that before we get into kind of the main chunk of what we're talking about it's a new era in Toronto no more Kyle Lowry um, after a lot of changes so you know previously to that with DeMar DeRozan and I'd be like, what's the vibe right now um, around the Raptors and this kind of new era that they're going into? The vibe's really good. I'd say the vibes are honestly at an all-time high, which is nice because I think it was quite bittersweet for a little while the summer um, after Lowry, like after it was clear that he was leaving. And I think even around media day, seeing him in a heat jersey for the first time threw a lot of fans. It definitely threw me. Um, and then, but I think the energy behind the new team, you know, Scotty Barnes, Delano Banton, <clears throat> and then some of the guys that are coming back that were added at the end of last season, Uto Watanabe, LSB, um, like these are guys who are just so ecstatic one to on the Raptors. And then now you have this other element and like, this is what's happening too for like Fred Van Vliet and Pat Beckham got here before, but like half this team, I'd say probably actually more than half this team now has never played in Toronto, which is kind of a wild thing to wrap oh, yeah. Yeah. your head around just being that they were in the bubble. And then they kind of went to their other bubble in Tampa for the season. So the energy is extremely high. Fans are really excited. I saw like, there's a, we have like our outdoor viewing arena like beside the 
Scotiabank Arena called Jurassic Park. Right. But usually that only gets activated during the playoffs. And I saw a Reddit posts of people being like, is anyone going down tonight? Like oh, for the okay. first preseason game, okay. it's raining here, but I think people are going to be out. Like everybody is very excited. Yeah, that's an exciting thing. And you know, it's so wild. So, you know, we started off kind of talking about just like time flying by and like it, it feels <laughs> like, and I had totally forgotten that the Raptors basically would have that many guys that have not played actually in Toronto um, because it gets kind of lost that they played that season in Tampa after being in the bubble um, and and, then like just coming back to Toronto like the fans do have to be really excited so it's crazy that they're going to be they're so excited that they want to activate Jurassic Park for the first preseason game like do we know are they going to try and do it I mean that's the thing people can go but I don't think the team or any broadcaster is setting up (laughs) today like people might go just to Yeah, people might go just to be together. Um, but yeah, the team, I don't think is going to encourage anything like that yet. <laughs> okay, all right, that makes sense. I, maybe maybe save it for the first regular season game. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe that's the way to go <laughs> on that one. Okay, now each week we have a couple of segments that are mainstays of the show. Uh, the first one is called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach, player, or a talking head said, and then we give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. Um, this week, it comes courtesy of uh, 76ers star Joel Embiid, who always has something to say. Um, but when he goes long form and like really dives into stuff, I find him as interesting as really anyone in sports. Uh, and of course, he had something to say about the Ben Simmons situation in which Ben Simmons has basically demanded a trade and has said that he is not reporting. Um, and I will link to the, in the show notes like the full, full thing that he said, because it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but I want to read this part and get your reaction, Katie. Um, he said, in part so I feel like our teams have always been built around his needs it was kind of surprising to see we'll say that even going back to I mean the reason that we signed Al we got rid of Jimmy uh, which I thought was a mistake just to make sure that him Ben uh, needed the ball in his hands and that's a decision that they made like I said it's surprising Katie what does that actually mean This is, I mean, the tricky thing about it is he's not entirely wrong because I think for a long time, the Sixers are just trying to push Ben Simmons into whatever role they, they wanted him to be in that season. And I think that's the tricky part. And that's where Ben Simmons ran into so many problems with the Sixers is because he never could just play one role. You know, they really wanted him to be this whether it's like a flex or a stretch, like he never got to actually settle into one thing. I know Philly fans take a lot of umbrage with that. And I think he just didn't necessarily work as hard as they would have wanted. Obviously Embiid is more of a Philly style workhorse player, I think, but I, I mean, I disparage a little when he said we got rid of Jimmy Butler because like Jimmy Butler left. Jimmy Butler like saw what was going on and was like, eh, like I'm out of here. There's like a team that really is going to utilize me a lot better that I'm going to just gel with like right off the jump. And I think what I, what I think Embiid is lacking a little bit there is the perspective that the Sixers are trying to do this with him too. But the Sixers problem is like, they're not a very multitasking front office. They're not really able to manage two players like that at once. And I don't even manage in sense of like personality management or anything like that. I just mean, even like what the expectations were on the floor. They never really set those out very clear for the two of them. They started playing a meet in the post more last season and that worked really well, but they never really gave that kind of, when Embiid is just like Ben, they wanted the ball in Ben's hands at all times. It's like, that's not actually what I saw 
right. in the playoffs. I feel like they were trying to keep the ball out of his hands at all times. <laughs> yeah, which is which is a whole other can of worms and kind of in, a, in part how we got here, right? So I think that the they have such a unique situation, I think, in how we ended up where we are with the Sixers, because I think you're right. I think that they do this. The organization has struggled to figure out how to build around both of them, how to, how to, how the play style was going to work. Then you kind of had, remember in the kind of the beginning of those two coming together, like Embiid was still getting hurt a lot. So you still had Mm -hmm. to kind of guard against whether or not he was even going to be out there for most of the time, while also trying to figure out, hey, what do we do with Simmons, who um, is clearly, and I've talked to a few people about this too, like Simmons is a weird case because he is clearly very good but he clearly has very large limitations and so there's you end up in kind of a tricky spot with him because he kind of has to be a max type player by virtue of the things that he does really well but at the same time as Doc Rivers kind of said, I don't know if he can kind of be the guy that's going to lead you to a championship as your point guard, right? Mm -hmm. Like, unless you totally revamp everything around him, which they already have a large piece, like figuratively and literally in Joel Embiid, right? So I I do think that they have just struggled to figure out how they're going to build around those two and how they want them to play. But it's layered as to how we actually got here. And that's just talking about the on-court fit. That is beyond like if we get into kind of the personality, obviously, of Joel Embiid, and then what's kind of become the personality of Ben Simmons and kind of how he's reacted to all of this, um, which has kind of culminated in this trade request. I honestly don't blame him, like Simmons, for what I mean, when someone tells you in like no uncertain terms, like his team told him at the end of last season, his coach like supposedly like his co-star player, uh, we don't really want him here, you know, and we don't necessarily trust him. And we don't know that like what we want a championship we're going to get with him. I mean, he, I think he just took that at face value and was like, all right, so I won't come back. I mean, granted there's still a lot of money on the line and like a few <laughs> yeah. years on the line, a few years on the line for him. But the fact that he's, it's funny because now like Ben Simmons was never like a very vocal or loud player, but now we're like more through his absence and his silences. Um, but I wanted to go back to what you were saying before, just in terms of like the how these two did or did not end up complimenting each other on the floor. And I think we did talk a little bit about the front office, not necessarily putting either of them in a position to thrive. But I think the the player that Ben is was never going to be complimented by the player that Embiid is on the floor. And that doesn't, I think that's just, that was going to work to the Sixers detriment. You know, there's plenty of teams where Ben could go and like, I don't think he should be the guy, but I also don't think Embiid is that guy. I, Right. And there's are still short that guy with two guys just using the guy a lot, but two guys that, <laughs> that are, are being put up as like, no, this is our, this is the lead of our franchise. This is our star. And this is like who we want all of our players to look to on the floor. But I don't necessarily think either of them is comfortable with that weight. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because going back to Joel's comment about, about um, Jimmy Butler, is that that to me was actually the right situation yes. <laughs> and the perfect guy really to then lead them. Now, I don't know if, if long-term and obviously it did not, but I don't know if long-term it would have been tenable to have 
Joel, Ben, and Jimmy and have Jimmy leading both of those guys, I think you always were going to have to pick one or the other. Personally, I would have picked Embiid and then let it be Jimmy and Embiid because I just think that they play off of each other better mm-hmm. um, than Simmons. Um, and just full disclosure, I am not a huge Simmons guy. Like, it's just not – like, I – to me – when you have a player that commands that much money and therefore he's going to have to always have a status on your team, but mm-hmm. you can't really rely on him in the playoffs, like in any shape or form. Like I just can't, I, I, I have a really hard time with that. Like I can't even get the words out. Like I have a hard time with trying to build my team around Ben Simmons. Um, and so I, that's, I'm always going to be a little bit clouded by that, what I think they should have done with the Jimmy Butler situation. But then that's also to say, like, it's easy to say now that, hey, yeah, they should have kept Jimmy Butler. But there were a couple other, there were two things that I think that don't ever get brought up in that situation. One, the money, like there was a lot of money that Philly was going to have to pay out um, to keep everyone there. And then also Jimmy's personality as well, talking about personalities, like, yeah, you're going to have some combustible situations there um, with him around too. And then him and Embiid you were also bound to have some issues so there was just a lot there like in a way Jimmy is and as now Joel is kind of pining for Jimmy Butler to have stayed um there's a little bit of revisionist history but I can understand why (laughs) yeah I mean I will say that at that point in his career like after the Bulls kind of cut him loose after I think you know Jimmy Butler had gone to them and said I want to lead this team Like, I want you to invest in me, essentially asking them. And then the whole situation with the Wolves, I do think Jimmy was ready to lead a team. But I think the team that he landed on was like, now we're good. Like, we have these guys. Like, we have these two guys. And you're just going to have to play around them. And, like, that's not good for Jimmy Butler on the floor either. Like, he's not that kind of player. So there almost wasn't enough space, I think, on that Sixers team for the three of them. Like, money aside, the money, I, I could tell, yeah, that was like, I was making you antsy, but I think, but I, and I think like, you know, as we said before, I think Jimmy is now in the perfect position uh, to go back to Kyle Lowry very briefly, because I could go back to Kyle Lowry at length, but I think people just love Kyle Lowry. They really, yeah, from Toronto really do, but I hope everybody else does. But I think like Lowry is that perfect curb for Jimmy Butler and Jimmy has said it, like he said it in media day too. He was like, I'm a really difficult person to tell what to do and to kind of like come at, but like, that's what I expect from Kyle. You know, I want him in my ear all the time and he'll do that. So I think that situation has worked out how it should, but the Sixers, it's very tough. Like it is very tough because Embiid, as you said, when he goes long form like this, it's super fascinating because he kind of runs, you get to see him run through all of his, thoughts and his feelings and they kind of develop and swirl as he goes is he kind of he starts very brooding and then he kind of lightens up and then he's right. just free flowing <laughs> and telling you anything you want to hear but I don't know I don't know how the front office must look at that because they, they got to keep this guy happy too you know and as you said right. he was like pretty injury prone for a couple seasons there and this is they're looking at quite a few minutes for him to play this season um, if Ben doesn't come back. So they need someone also to come in and support him too. Yeah. And that's even before, like without knowing what they'll eventually get back, you usually mm-hmm. are not going to get equal value and those sorts of things like it. And what is his value? Like there's a lot there. Like that one is going to be definitely one of the bigger storylines, um, especially on court for this upcoming season is they're kind of a contender to come out of the East. But one of the things that I, and I feel like it's become the thing off the court as we kind of lead into the season and everybody was going through their media days last week was just vaccinations. Okay. So 
I don't even know where to begin with what happened with all of this, because it just felt like one by one, um, there were just different and stars is used loosely here because it depends on which player we're talking about. Um, But they became a little bit more famous in some cases than they probably even deserved or wanted to be uh, looking at Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Isaac for just their stance on I, I shouldn't say anti-vax because Bradley Beal came out and said that he was not anti-vax. I still want to say that that is somebody got a hold of him and said, hey, look at this money that's about to come off of the table. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. But essentially what happened with Bradley Beal, Andrew Wiggins, Kyrie Irving, Jonathan Isaac, um, and as you wrote on um, Basketball Feelings, LeBron James by kind of his lack of own conviction. And we're going to get to LeBron because I am a Lakers guy. And so that, I'm going to have to get into that. But just that storyline did that I guess I'll start here did did it surprise you that that became such a big storyline as teams were rolling out through their media days it did honestly it did it did because I mean you knew there was still this sort of pocket um of players who obviously hadn't been vaccinated yet I I think I knew that a lot of it would clarify towards the start of the season I didn't necessarily see that all clarifying on media day I didn't really think those questions would get asked of every player uh, on media day. And I think the questions that got asked of those players, a lot of those players, aside from Wiggins, were pretty like telling in their responses, like Beal talked about it at length. Kyrie said, like, he's like, oh, I didn't want to create any more hoopla with this, but it's like, well, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Kyrie is that guy that does that stuff and then comes back on the back end and say, oh, I didn't want to create any hoopla, but he's always creating hoopla. Exactly. He's And he's too smart. Like, he's too smart to not understand what the fallout's going to be. Right. Um, but it, I mean, overall, I think it, it was a really disheartening, I have to say, experience from what you typically look for in media day. One, on one hand, I was happy to know kind of where we collectively we stood um but on the other hand like just hearing a lot of them talk about it especially to say like i would say single be out just for the comments that he made you know saying that he was sick well he, he said i was sick i didn't get that sick i just lost my sense of smell but like that's your brain like that's your nervous system you know yeah. like that is that something substantial has happened in your body for that to happen and when he made those comments about Oh, kind of like flippantly, like, well, you know, it just keeps you out of the hospital. How good, like, what's so good about that? Like, that's a, that's actually a phenomenal breakthrough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it's kind of like along the same lines of what the one guy that I didn't mention, uh, Michael Porter Jr., Mm -hmm. where he said a lot of those same things as someone who's had COVID twice and talking, speaking of uh, Michael Porter Jr., he's had it twice. Um, And he said a lot of the same things that Beal said. And I just feel like there's a, uh, and this is not particular to like these just NBA players because you hear this in society at large, but there is still just such a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, of what the vaccine is supposed to do for you, what the benefit is of it, and why you would want to avoid that. To hear someone say that, mm-hmm. oh, it just keeps you out of the hospital is like flat out ridiculous. Like, I don't understand like why we're still what we're now over well we're well over a year we're basically two years into this pandemic and we're still at that point where we're trying to educate people on why it would be good to stay out of the hospital if you got like very ill or why 
it's a like really big deal that to your body that you lost your sense of smell or taste. Like I just don't understand why we're still at that push pull about just basic level information and education, especially considering and knowing that a lot of these sports teams obviously have the resources to bring in any expert that they want to bring in. Um, Beal being in Washington um, is another whole thing of this because this happened with the Washington football team where when they came to start the season, they had, I forget the actual name of the player, apologize, but he sat up there and said, you know, I, I need to find out more information. And then it turned out that the um, their football team actually brought in people from like the CDC or from the government to actually to come and talk to them so you had the information available um so it's just it's just a frustrating situation um and and it's all to varying degrees right on what's about to happen moving forward i personally think someone like beal we're gonna look up and he got the shot like i feel like that's gonna happen um i, I think of all of these guys like i think mean, kyrie Irving, and andrew wiggins i think they're gonna ride this thing out to the end like i think that they're really going to try and not do it. And then the one thing that becomes a little bit of an X factor in this district, like basketball, like strictly basketball speaking, is how do teammates respond to this, right? So if you're Andrew Wiggins and you go to Steph Curry and you go to Clay Thompson and you say, hey, I'm not going to do this, but oh, and I'm willing to sacrifice, what is it, $15 million, I think it is. I think he's paid 30, 31 million. Um, I'm willing to do that. I'm going to do that for these principles. And those two guys say, hey, we're trying to win this championship. The window is closing. Uh, me, Steph Curry, I'm only going to be this good for so long. Like, those are going to present some really interesting conversations. Yeah, I, I do have a point to make about Steph, but I just wanted to quickly go back to Beal in that what he was saying, like what really struck me about the, his logic was when he said, oh, it keeps you out of the hospital. And then he talked a little bit about, you know, we don't talk enough about uh, the like the bad side effects people get from the vaccine and how you could miss games from that. So if his logic was you might miss games if you get bad reaction from the vaccine, you're going to miss games if you also go to the hospital. Right. And we've also just like historically, people have bad reactions to this second shot like to a varying degree, but not to the point where it actually takes you out for like any substantial amount of time that having COVID would. So I, that I was just like, you know, man, like someone's got to sit this guy down and give him a bit like a better, more information. But um, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw this last night that Wiggins did get the shot. Oh, he did. Yeah. Steve Kerr confirmed that he got the shot. I think it was when he started to look at probably the fact that he was due to lose like $350,000 a game. <laughs> That's a lot of money, man, per game. It's a like, lot of money. That's a lot and of money. for a player like Wiggins, I have to say, yes. like, that's what I think was surprising that Wiggins became like, I think that's what you were alluding to when mm -hmm. you said stars of like varying degree. Like it sort of surprised me that it was Wiggins who took this stance because he's not a player who's had a substantial amount of attention on him for any part really of his NBA career. Um, he's had a lot of like, um, criticism I think level at him but I was really curious as to why he took the stance and seemed to dig in so hard I'm not sure if it was because you know guys like Kyrie and these kind of this other this this really small pocket had been in touch with him and were almost like saying you know stand your ground it kind of became this it kind of became something to stick out rather than I don't necessarily think he actually believed so hard. You know, what we kept hearing again and again is like, you want to stick with his convictions and his beliefs. Will the NBA like struck down whatever his 
religious exemption was that he put to them, you know, I, so I was kind of wondering what those beliefs actually were, but what I thought was very telling was when Steph came out on media day and Steph strikes me as the kind of guy who's just like, as a teammate, um, and like, especially in the summer, he'll just, he'll just be like, well, I'll see you next year. Like, he's very much your, like, yeah, he's your office that. friend. Yeah. Like he's your office friend. Like he's there to work. But when it came to this, oh wait, like this could actually impede our season. Like I show up to work, I expect the same of my teammates. He made a couple of comments that basically like, he didn't call Wiggins dumb and what he was doing stupid. Cause Steph doesn't talk like that. But basically he was just like, um, you know, I would expect for him to basically get the information that he needs and then basically be show, show up to play and anything that kind of gets in the way of that, like, I'm not really for it, you know, and I think that was <clears throat> pretty telling as politely as someone like Steph Curry would be, but I think that was pretty telling in terms of where he stood. Um, what was a little bit more disheartening to me was when Draymond came out and like went on a very strange <laughs> Uh, like very long and drawn. If we talk about like Embiid's long kind of <laughs> drawn out, <laughs> right. sometimes Draymond goes the other way. And I like, I'm a big Draymond fan. I like his outspokenness for the most part and the things that he says, but that I found really uh, confusing. Uh, he he had like a pre- comparison to like comparison. pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, well, your pregnant wife is probably not like a danger to public health. So that's a different situation. Um, and then when, when Draymond too said, he didn't understand why this was being pushed so hard. And like, he didn't understand, which are two totally different things, but it's being pushed so hard because like what I thought from that is what world have you been living in, you know, for the past year and a half almost two years now as we said like look around you i don't know why there would be any confusion as to why this was being pushed so hard yeah and and see and you know what i have honestly thought when he when i first saw those comments was oh this is like another like very wealthy person that doesn't understand Mm -hmm. what's happening at the world in the world at large like honestly that was my first because in a way if you're if you if you have the level of of money that Draymond Green has, like yes, your life is affected by what's happening, and he probably knows people that have been impacted by COVID because we all do at this point because it's so widespread. Um, but at the same time, like how much different is his life really, right? And does he really see the true effects of what people are going through? Like, it, like Draymond Green was never in danger of like losing his job or like really going through like some of the hardships that like regular people, and I hate going that way, but like, it's just the very first thing that came to my mind. And then I'm glad you brought that up because that leads me perfectly um, to LeBron James, which is him then seeing what Draymond said and then co-signing it. Um, I think he said, he quote tweeted it and said, I couldn't have said it any better, like something to that effect. And mm-hmm. it's always notable when LeBron like kind of co-signs something like that because he doesn't do it all that often. Like he picks and chooses his spots, even at Lakers media days. Um, someone asked him pointedly about why he didn't like try to participate in like PSA or anything like that. And he said, hey, if you know me, you know that I don't really like to tell people what to do and that sort of thing. And so I was just like, I guess incredibly disappointed was the way, I guess, the way to describe what I felt about what LeBron said, because honestly, it was a kind of self-inflicted thing that he didn't really need to weigh in on. Like, he didn't need to say that. Like, there was just no need, no reason for mm-hmm. him to co-sign that. 
And LeBron's so savvy when it comes to his image and it, like his brand that I really hesitate in believing that when he makes these kinds of missteps, like I think he understands pretty well what he's signaling. And I think that was a huge kind of, I'd say criticism of the league was that they didn't any player led PSAs out knowing the kind of like captive audience that they have and how impactful they come out and said anything about the vaccines, you know, but like they're the league kind of took the stance of being like, well, we're going to let the players decide, like, we're going to let them figure this out on their own. And now that's kind of led us to this really awkward, strange holdout part that we're in. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't, like, I think LeBron, again, he's so smart. He's so like self-aware of himself and his brand and the things that he says that when he says things like that, it, it, it kind of sets things back. And I, I couldn't help but think like, if you knew that he wanted you in a PSA, you also took quite a while and you, he talked, he talked about, you know, yeah, he was hesitant to get the vaccine, mm -hmm. but he did. He spoke with experts. I hate the phrase like did his own research now because I really do. it doesn't like, mean I anything. I said that in it my, like, yeah. I was just talking to someone and I was like, oh, I had to do some research. And I was like, oh no, wait, no, yeah. not like that. Well, it's been co-opted. Yeah, they stole yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. It's been co-opted, which sucks. But um, he spoke people, uh, experts in their field and eventually decided to get the vaccine, which is great. But I think that could have been a real moment where he used that platform to say like, yeah, I had my own doubts, but like I went ahead and did this. So when he then quote tweeted Draymond's whole kind of train wreck of a media day, it was like, what do you do? Like you just went back on all of that stuff that you kind of just recently came to the conclusion of. So when I wrote that, I found it, you know, I found it kind of, well, I found it irresponsible, but I also found it very strange because it seemed like he was stra still straining to kind of put his name and, and the weight of his name behind this really outlier group of people, yeah. you know, like instead of just trying to like move on, if he says he doesn't want to tell people what to do, like you kind of just did dude. <laughs> yeah. Like you really just stepped back into it and honestly kept the story alive. I'll be curious. And I don't know uh, Peyton, like when the next time he's scheduled to speak or when they're going to have any availability because he didn't play in the Lakers first preseason game. Um, and so we'll see like what happens the next time that he talks um, and if it comes back up because it, continuing that story that they that as a team the Lakers actually did a really nice job of kind of navigating that they had mm -hmm. no controversy through it when they were actually doing their media day to then have it come back up because LeBron decided to co-sign with Draymond foolishly would it's just dumb but at the same time like he's probably going to have to answer for that um because people really don't forget things that LeBron James says um so we'll <laughs> kind of keep an eye on that and see where that goes um but every week we end the show with a segment called put them on blast which is my favorite segment of the week where we basically put someone on blast for something that they did or said put them on blast um this week I am going to let my guest Katie go first so Katie who are you going to put on blast I hope it's not a cop out because it's uh, an entity, but I'd like okay, to put the fine. NBA at last, mostly for what we're talking in terms of this outlier pocket uh, of vaccine, whether you want to call them anti-vaxxers or you want to call them hesitant. When I look at the lengths the league has gone to in other ways, whether it's social justice, the Black Lives Matter protests last summer and like really trying to support their players throughout. You could argue that there was a line between that and the bubble and them wanting the bubble to continue, but they still did put a, a substantial amount, I think, of like airtime money behind that. 
the the little to no work that they've done internally as a league in terms of education around vaccination. When you look at leagues like the WNBA, which is now 99% vaccinated and led even before vaccines were available um, to be distributed in the United States, still led player led initiative, player to player through the WNBPA. Um, not even so much of the league because they understood it was going to be way more impactful for players to hear from whether their teammates or leaders that they trusted in the league, if they had any questions, brought in experts from the CDC, brought in doctors, took the approach of like, there's really no stupid questions here. This is a brand new thing that we're all looking at and dealing with. Don't feel shy. Don't feel, you know, like you can't ask anything. We're going to answer all of it and like, look at where they are now. Granted, you can also look at the fact that no WNBA player can afford to leave any money on the table. Right. When you look at the fact that they play a WNBA season and then most of them will play overseas for their summers. Um, but I did want to go back to what you said when, you know, when you look at what Draymond said, <clears throat> and we're talking about what Bradley Beal said, I do feel like a lot of this was <clears throat> these guys were so cared for at the beginning of the pandemic. They were put in a bubble. You know, the bubble was there was so much money into making sure that like nothing, nothing punctured the bubble, so to speak, you know, that it ran really smoothly that like COVID was like, not even, I guess, out of sight out of mind, such a small pocket of people like in the world at that point who had that, right. who had that privilege afforded to them. Um, and I think to some degree, it is obviously really <laughs> impacted some players again it's just like a real small fraction of players in the nba but they're so oblivious now like kind of willfully ignorant and i think the nba has a lot of responsibility there because i think in it's i am a big big champion of player autonomy so i don't want to say like this was up to the league to force anyone's hand but i do think the league kind of taking a back seat and maybe hoping that guys would you know have a summer see what was going on around them, get vaccinated with their families. Obviously that didn't work for everybody because, you know, these are athletes who for a lot of them, like they're on their phones a lot, you know, they're isolated during the season, especially last season. They didn't, when they were traveling, they didn't know else. There's a lot of time for misinformation to spread. And with the misinformation, if it gets into one guy, like, you know, Kyrie was talking about, <laughs> Like the, the Instagram, I don't know if you read that article of Rolling Stone, but like the Instagram accounts that Kyrie was following that were talking about microchips and like satanic like rituals. Like I just like there's how could something like that propagate? Right. And I right. think the league didn't necessarily do its own due diligence. Uh, and for a league that I think really champions itself on education um, efforts like all year round, not just for like, you know, they've got the rookie transition program, but then they have all these other th kind of like extracurricular things that they offer their players in terms of like career development and like their their post post playing career careers to just sort of not want to get there like not want to wade into what had become politicized already because that's the thing like the league knew this this was a issue. it had been made that way especially in the united states and had been that way for quite a while so i don't think there should have been any surprises for the results that they're getting now. So I do want to put the league on blast a little. Yeah, and I, I think it's deserved. And I think especially when you put that, if you put that in comparison to what the WNBA has done and kind of them being the blueprint, but also being ignored in this case, um, 
I mean, it was right there for them to copy and emulate. It was right there for a lot of different entities to copy and emulate. And honestly, I like what you said, because if we've learned one thing from this entire pandemic, it's that we can't be out here letting people stay to their own devices. Like, that's not how this is going to work. Like, nothing is going to improve or get better if we just, like, go hands off and say, <laughs> oh, yeah, just go ahead and figure it out on it. Do your own research, and we'll be able to go ahead and let you do it. No, that's not. We've just learned that, right? Like, it's been a kind of unfortunate reality of the situation. Um, but at every turn, I feel like that ends up being the lesson that we learned is that it really is about like actual proactive education um, and trying to get the information into people's hands. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a totally different sport. I'm going to leave the NBA and go to college football for who I'm going to put on blast. And we're going to put Lane Kiffin, the head coach of Ole Miss, on blast. Um, and I think this might be the first time I've ever put Lane on blast. I'm generally a fan of Lane. I've described Lane this way a lot, that I think he's very entertaining. And I like to watch and observe him be a coach. If I was Lane Kiffin's boss, I would hate it. that He would not be my head coach uh, because he's just a loose cannon. And you can't have that if you were actually going to be his boss. And so when he kind of poked the bear, he, they played Alabama this week and Lane was kind of doing a little bit of tough talk and like he went and did um, kind of an instant classic pregame um, interview um, on the SEC network and where he was just like he was asked you know if his team was ready to play and he just was like let's go and just took the headset off and threw it down the let's go didn't result in anything like they ended up losing 42 to 21 um, to Alabama who once again looks like Alabama like it's like whatever happens in the world like you just like Alabama is going to be good um that 42 21 score was not as close as the game actually was like it was further apart than that score would indicate because Ole Miss scored 14 points in the fourth quarter um to make that a little bit closer so Lane Kiffin I know you really want to be the first assistant to take Nick Saban down because he's never lost to an assistant a former assistant coach of his I think it's like 108 no or some crazy stat like that um it's probably not that many but it's it's a lot um and so for all of that Lane Kiffin because he couldn't get it done he did all that tough talk you have to go on blast uh, but I still like you you're a lot of fun I just wouldn't want you to be my coach uh, but you gotta go on blast. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's hard out here for Lane. Like, I, I understand. Like, he, he, somebody has to be the first one, but it, it wasn't going to be him. And you can only poke the Alabama bear so much um, because you should not be giving them motivation. But that is a good place to leave this pod. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere that you listen to them. Rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network. The Mind Your Own Podcast, the Varsity Club Podcast, Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hale Varsity Radio Show. You can also check out the Hale Varsity YouTube page. Where I'll be back on there with the recruiting question of the week video. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Get me at Greg Smith HB and at Katie at potentially the greatest um, Twitter handle ever at whatevs, W-T-E-V-S, W-T-E-V-S. Um, definitely a good follow on there. I will catch you next week. A Huda Media Production.